I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's not working. It's not working. Get rid of them all. Kick them all. <laughs> Ten men rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone and welcome to the new rugby podcast from the Irish Examiner. I'm your host Duncan Casey, I'm joined by my co-host, the man that puts a smile on my face every time I see him, uh, the glorious Duncan Williams. In today's episode we'll be catching up with Donald Lenehan, talking to him about the upcoming Six Nations campaign, some of his own experiences in his time in national camps. And we'll be catching up with Jack Crowley, the Cork Connaught half, who is likely to be in the starting jersey for the under-20s for the course of this campaign, but certainly this Friday night. Duncan, I haven't actually seen you in a while. We've been messaging over and back over the last few months, but uh, how has retirement been treating you? What have you been up to? Um, so obviously I finished up in uh, end of May. Well, <laughs> looking back at it, I was probably well finished by November. <laughs> I was picking a few splinters in the old dressing room for a good while before that. But, um, I know how that feels. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah no, so I finished up in the end of May, went, took a good break with my wife and kid. We actually went to John Ryan's wedding over in Girona for... A very lavish affair. A very lavish affair. I was showing myself in the free drink and everything. Um, So yeah, we went there. So that was in Girona. And then we stayed on for about two weeks after. uh, Just about a half an hour away from there. So it was a lovely break. Got away from everything rugby. Relaxed. uh, Put on a bit of weight. No training whatsoever. So it was uh, a nice break. Then came back in July. Kind of was still hoping to kind of play on at that point. Um, kind of hoping that maybe something might come in for World Cup cover over in France would have mm. been uh, ideal, probably too even even better again because they have a, they have a good uh, system. A couple of weeks off yeah. there, yeah, every, Four every weeks and one week off. Yeah, yeah so it would have been ideal. But uh, uh, look, it never came, and uh, so yeah, I just trained away, took took my time, met a few people, kind of putting out a few feelers for jobs, and kind of started then the grad program in Keypack in October. Um, had a trip to Bermuda with, for the classics as well. In, in yeah, November. how was that actually? I haven't spoken to you about that. Since. Yeah, it was very good. It was very good. It was. Uh, well, was it a week long? Yeah, so no, it was ten days. So oh, we geez. went. Uh, we went on a Friday and back on the Sunday. So it was. Um, it was heavy going. No drink wise. Uh, it's, it's obviously one of the better ones to get on, but. Uh, it's essentially like a club rugby tour. Essentially, you get in the pace as soon as you arrive, and oh, it's a fine junket. Yeah, so we, we. I think our flight from Dublin was. Six in the morning, so we were in Gatwick for half eight. I think we had our first point at nine, half nine, and uh, our flight from Gatwick wasn't until half two. So, barely remember getting on the flight. Uh, drank all the way over, so I think we were drinking pretty much solid for about forty-eight hours, realistically. <laughs> so then we woke up on the Sunday, and our first game was the Monday. We were all hoping the game would be called off at that point because we were just in the horrors. Um, but no, we played the States in the first game. Um, it's good. Actually, the rugby was good quality. It was a lot tougher than what I thought. Is, is it is it kind of ex-players from all over the place or is yeah. there actually teams of current players as well? Or? Uh, no, it's all retired players. So okay. there was the Irish team, USA, the Lions, France, Italy, Argentina, um, South Africa. And I can't remember who the other team was. But uh, yes, yeah, so we played the States in the first game. It was a tough game, actually. We, we managed to win that. So See, the thing is, if you win the first game, you get a good kind of run of the week then between drinking and playing matches. Ah, okay. So you get a good couple of days drinking then your next match, whereas okay. if you lose the first game, the drinking is really curtailed as a result of the way the games fall. So the big emphasis is to win the first game. Uh, so we beat the States and then we had to play South Africa in the second game, which was highly embarrassing because <laughs> we were on the beach all week drinking. These lads were there and their speed was ripped to the gills. <laughs> Not artificially, obviously. And uh, <laughs> any notable names playing for them? Uh, you know, I met Pugita that played with the Waratahs, big tall second with the long hair. Oh yeah, yeah. You met Sharon McLeod actually. Did you play with him in Grenoble? 
Cheryl had just left. He left Grenoble when they went down, so he was at Stade. Yeah, when I the arrived. nine with Ken Lang. Yeah, 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 no, yeah I yeah. met him. He I played. Him. Yeah, yeah. Nice but James was there. He was meant to play, but he, I think he was just grounded. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> so yeah, they gave us a good hiding anyway. I think they were seven 0 <laughs> up within thirty seconds. And it's a fifteen aside. Fifteen uh, aside and thirty or twenty-five or thirty-five minutes a half. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it was it was uh, no, it was a great experience. I was glad I did it. Um, it's a it's an interesting ten days to say the least. It's good because the partners get to come over as well. Ah right, yeah. So we go on a Friday. They came on a Tuesday, so a nice little break for them as well. It keeps keeps everyone happy. Oh, of course, it does yeah. Uh, That's what were you were you? I know you were playing with Kano, obviously. What were you ever were you ever at a point where you were considering finishing up? Yeah, so when I obviously I was training through the summer and I was thinking about doing a bit of coaching and as I said I was hoping to maybe play on in France or whatever. Um, so then I was like, I was talking to a few lads, say Mike Sherry, you know, you know, he was saying that he'd love to be able to play. Obviously, his shoulder was at him, so he was kind of... Hang, hanging off him. Yeah, like, yeah, to, so to, I was... To, uh, to put it I kind of felt a bit bad. I was like, oh, jeez, you know, I, kinda, I can still play, so mm. why don't I? It's kind of towards the end of my Munster career, I kind of fell out of love with rugby. I, I was, wasn't really enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I went back feels. and played with that from Christmas onwards, and it was... I actually began to enjoy it, you know, it was great brand of rugby it was very yeah. entertaining we were actually winning we won a, we won the AIL so I was like do you know what it's kind of the same team for Con again the following year so I said look go on I'll play on it was originally kind of trying to keep myself fit for Bermuda after the fans <laughs> didn't work out so I'm um, still there anyway slogging away but how are you, and how are you finding playing AIL now uh, yeah, as, as kind of your primary contact with rugby does it remove a lot of the shit that I suppose would have come with uh, things not going your way for the last season. Uh, they're still, yeah, I'm filling the crowd, giving me chip. <laughs> One of my friends was at it there a few weeks ago, right? And uh, I think we were on our like five meter line or something, and so I kicked the ball out like a normal kick out to touch, like clearing kick. He said, if that guy kicks the ball again, <laughs> what do you want me to do? Like we're five meters from our line, it's pissing rain. So you know, he said those kind of fellas, but uh, no, enjoying it. As I said, it's kind of playing rugby with a smile on my face which I suppose wasn't always the case when you're a professional um, yeah you know, I know I was reading Keats wrote an article uh, or had an article there during the week you know saying he always played his best rugby when he was smiling and mm. for me sometimes that's not easy to do in professional rugby um, I was always jealous of someone like Zeebs who could oh yeah play absolute muck for 75 minutes but still be having the time <laughs> of his life and end up getting three tries and be a hero so um no, it's very true. Like, uh, it is particularly when things aren't going your way. It's hard to stay motivated. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that triangle. You, know, you only know it too well yourself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was that. There was that triangle of misery in the corner <laughs> yeah. of the changing room. The two of us and Mike Sherry. So yeah. I think. Well, yeah. at least at least you you were you were playing like even when you weren't really figuring, you were figuring the odd time. Whereas when we weren't figuring, yeah, like we you're, weren't, you're really we weren't figuring there. at all. Like, yeah. I was like, because I remember before I, in the lead up to when I went to Grenoble, I, I ended up playing 80 minutes for Grenoble three days after my first training session, mm. just by nature of the fact that there were two injuries and a suspension, so they had no choice. So uh, I played 80 minutes and I could not believe they were leaving me on. I kind of got to yeah, 60 yeah. and I was starting to look at the sideline and I was going, okay, any minute now. Then I got to 65 and I was I was completely useless at that stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like you're uh, you're pretty content with the ball that you've rediscovered uh, some passion for rugby. I'm, unfortunately, I'm not in a position to do that. Yeah. I don't think I'd play anyway if I could, but I dislocated my hip uh, with eight minutes to go uh, in my last game <laughs> you had a good track record over in Canoval right how many games did you actually finish uh, yeah I, I was. I came on and went off more than I had at any other point of my career for sure yeah. there was one in particular I was. Uh, I came on I had been out with a hamstring injury for two weeks and then ended the third week came on off the bench and I think I was on for about 90 seconds got a, con- <laughs> got a concussion was back off Uh so yeah, that kind of, that kind of thing. We still have that scare. Yeah, mm. that kind of thing happens though. Well. Uh, but you yeah. you 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 took the travelling in a way straight after after your retirement. I did. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah. Well, I'm back in UL next week, so I I to do the second semester of a masters I was doing mm. uh, before I went to France, which they very kindly let me put on hold for a couple of years, and I had kind of five or six months to play around with before that started. So rather than just kind of hanging around Ireland and waiting for college to start yeah. uh, Sarg and my girlfriend and I uh, had always intended to go travelling for an extended period of time at one point or another 
So it was just a good opportunity to do that. So and could you uh, run us through the glamorous uh, places you went to? So we started in Istanbul, went to Lebanon, Armenia, Georgia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, North Korea, South Korea, Taiwan, the Philippines, and New Zealand. Okay. So uh, I know, and you, I presume, you stay in hostels for all of this, which you're missing. Uh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now it'd be piggish if you were trying to stay in hotels and in every country like that. Uh, uh, it's too, too lavishly, too mainstream. Yeah, exactly. I like the raw element of travel as well. So, uh, but no, it was great. It was great. No, so uh, happily retired as well. So I think we're both on the same page there. Would you look to stay in a, in rugby at all? Bit of coaching or? I don't think so, to be honest. I never really enjoyed it. I never really enjoyed coaching. Not that I like. I enjoy helping people out. Mm-hmm. If I, as you know yourself, you'd be asked to kind of give a hand with uh, stuff every now and again, a school or in a club. And no, in- I don't. I don't actually get asked. <laughs> <that. laughs> I, I enjoyed working with hookers, say, or that kind of thing, or even doing a bit of line yeah, line yeah. out work. But uh, when it came to actually like managing thirty or forty people, particularly if if it's young people, yeah. is. Uh, a lot harder than I think people give it credit for. You were very big into the mental aspect of things. Would you not be able to talk? <laughs> the youth of today, truly, how to mentally toughen yourself up. <laughs> I was yeah, I was one of the most mentally fragile people uh, <laughs> you could imagine, I think, on balance. If uh, anyone's ever heard of this Wim Hof character, you need to look Wim, him up. Yeah, Wim, don't Wim come Hoff in one day thinking this guy was... The answer to all my problems. Yeah, so he's like, he can climb Mount Everest in his underpants. Yeah. So next thing, Dunk started doing ice baths at home and lo and behold, he came in the scarf sniffling with a chest infection after one, one cold, cold showers, cold showers, yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, so Wim Hof, he's worth looking up. He's, he's this Dutch guy who uh, he uses breathing to keep his his body temperature high and to boost his immune system, supposedly anyway. Uh, so he's done stuff like in, in experiments where he's been injected with a virus and he's been able to fight off the virus uh he runs these workshops where at the end of kind of a week-long workshop in the polish mountains they go up and uh they literally climb mountains in their underwear uh he's done stuff he's run marathons in the desert with no water that kind of thing so he's he's a complete freak of nature of course he's packaged this and he kind of uh he's packaged this and he's and, and he sells it as a product so I love I love a gimmick like and uh, you bought that I bought it all kind of sinker but part of it is you follow you follow this process so there's breathing exercises but part of it is uh, exposing yourself self to cold water like ice cold water so you do like at the it starts with at the end of your shower you do it for ten seconds twenty seconds and then you build it up every day to the point where you're having fully cold showers I think I got to maybe like the eighth day <laughs> <laughs> came down with the the worst chest infection I I, I, I could recall ever having. I was prone to them anyway. I was, yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, I I would get at least one a year, maybe two, and that was the worst I can remember having. So I was bed-bound for about five days with that. So (laughs) that was the end of Wim Hof and me. Uh, But he's worth looking at, yeah. see you thanks for joining us that's great and uh, best of luck lads with your new venture <laughs> the new Anton deck of rugby in the south of Ireland <laughs> who's who <laughs> um, we've obviously got the Six Nations coming up this week I suppose in the greater squad Donald do you think anyone's particularly hard done by when upping included uh, I have to say I was amazed when Rhys Ruddock was left out um, mm. you know every time he's played for Ireland he's been outstanding he's now one of the driving forces in Leinster when you see the younger fellas they have in the back row Obviously, Deegan and Doris are getting the the kudos. Van der Fleer still there playing well, but uh, Ruddock seems to be the rock that they keep going back to. Um, uh, again, he was used limited on a limited basis in the World Cup, but every time he's played, he was outstanding. So I, I was surprised with that. A bit surprised your own position as well. Niall Scandal going mm-hmm. from sort of on the bench with Ireland consistently over the past number of years, waiting for his chance with Rory Best. Uh, best finally retires and, and all of a sudden uh, I find it very hard to believe that he's not in the top three hookers in Ireland um, mm, Agreed, yeah So it's a, yeah. It's a surprising one um, But look Is coach, it the right three names, was it? Yeah. Three names, yeah, yeah, yeah I think so and two of them are on unca- well, one of them Heffernan, Heffernan has, one has one a couple of caps Yeah, yeah. Kelleher, to be fair has been outstanding yeah, I think Yeah, with, yeah with hard, hard to leave a guy like that out Yeah um, But like when you consider Rob Herring 
played second fiddle to best mm. for five, six seasons in Ulster. Um, on the periphery of the Irish setup for a while, and now it looks as if he's primed to start. So um, that's right. Yeah, I suppose uh, I, I hate hearing the term "period of transition." I think it's ninety nine percent of the time <laughs> yeah. it's not an appropriate time to use it at all. But I think it's fair to say now it's the end of one World Cup cycle. Yeah. The World Cup obviously didn't go according to plan. So Andy Farrell, all things going well, has four years to plan mm-hmm. for twenty twenty three. So it is kind of that period where you can play around with things. I don't think guys that have been left out necessarily. Um, might not be might be left out again come the June tests uh, but I think it's interesting who are you looking forward to seeing uh, I saw an interesting was it a comment from Farrell saying that the, the squad has pace and power and suits the way he's going to try and play so I was kind of worried was that excluding certain lads that weren't named if going forward unless something drastic happens I don't know I was hoping that that wouldn't be the case for particularly someone like Niall Scanlon as you said I think you know, he, he adds a lot to the team. You know, he has leadership capabilities. His set piece is very strong. I think Good on his throwing alone, yeah. I mean, the, the Irish Leonard hasn't functioned well for yeah. a, a good couple of years now. And I think... But at Reese Ruddock, he, he does, he's at the fastest, but he's kind of like the juggernaut. Keeps trucking, gets three, four metres every time or whatever. But just that perception maybe that he's not this fast man around the, over turf or whatever. I, I don't know. I just hope that that isn't... If a guy is playing well... For his club, particularly. Yeah, but I think that's why the the selection is going to be interesting, and mm. uh, I have to say I'm looking forward to the Six Nations, given that um, you know that Irish side was pretty settled for the past two years. Mm. Um, obviously, speculation in the World Cup, very difficult in the middle of a World Cup to start making wholesale changes. Yeah. Um, I suppose the surprise that time, Lammer came in, played against Scotland in that opening game. Mm. Andrew Conway played in that, and despite the fact that they played really well. Mm. They weren't in the equation for the the, the bigger games down the line. Um, I, everything about Farrell, I have to say, I've met him a number of occasions. Uh, I'm not sure whether he's been in dressing rooms when he's there, but he has presence. Um, everybody speaks really highly of him. Mm. Um, you know, he's been involved in the international arena now four years with England, four years with Joe Schmidt in Ireland. This is his opportunity to make his stamp. So. Um, uh, starting off as coach, uh, getting two home games, you know, is brilliant as long as you win. Mm. But uh, you know, the expectation because it's Scotland, the fact that the opening game of the World Cup that was supposed to be tied, Ireland blew them away. Mm. Um, you have the Finn Russell issue coming in as well. The expectation is there that Ireland are going to win, so that that brings its own pressure. Yeah. Like you lose one or two of those opening games, all of a sudden. You're on the road, you know, the, the the pressure is there already. Yeah, I wonder, with Ireland, like, the media and stuff, obviously, I don't know, will he be afforded the chance to, you know, bleed, bleed or blood in new f- a few new lads and, you know, try a few new things out. Whereas if he loses, and he, or he does that and he loses, the media will be on his case. Whereas, like, you see New Zealand and Australia, sort of, they do this with a couple of lads every year. They might win, they might get the results, but they see the bigger picture. Even the supporters see the bigger picture. I just think... Ireland, we can be great at putting our own down rather than getting mm-hmm. behind them and seeing the bigger picture. Yeah, and it's like, you know better than anyone, I mean, what impact, particularly at international level, when you've little or no time to prepare, mm-hmm. like, what changes can you make style-wise in three or four training sessions? You know, you can talk on broad basis about what you want to do, but in terms of, of making radical changes to the way you're going to play, mm-hmm. I don't know, you tell me, is it possible to do that? on the back of four training sessions. Yeah, that's a fair point, and I think that, that ties into a lot of the chat around Munster at the moment. I mean, people seem to be throwing Larkham under the bus already because they haven't drastically altered the style of rugby that we're playing, uh, or that they're playing, rather. And uh, I think, like you say, Donald, it's very difficult to change things in season or, or with limited exposure to certain guys, um, particularly the fact that the World Cup was on. People were coming back in dribs and drabs, having time off over Christmas, and... Uh, I think, yeah, you're probably going to see... I think you'll see more expansive rugby from Ireland, for sure. Um, probably more encouragement to take risks, I think. Uh, less conservative outlook. But on the whole, I mean, the bulk of players are going to be the same. The style of rugby isn't going to change drastically, I don't think. When is, is Dan Levy close to returning? Or uh, there's a suggestion that he might now play before the end of the season. Okay. Um, he's supposed to be flying training-wise. Yeah, um, great to see him back, I think. He's yeah, but there's another ridiculous. element, you see... Ireland now, they have a two-test, well, it's supposed to be two-tests. There's talk there's going to be a third test added to um, to the Australian tour, okay. which is incredible when you, you hear all this talk about player welfare. 
Um, the Irish players, the World Cup squad assembled, I think, on the 16th of June in Carton House. Uh, the first test in Australia is July 4, second test July 11. I know they're talking about adding a third test in Perth, but brings you to July the 18th, so that's 13 months mm. yeah. after yeah. they came together, it seems. Like yeah. it's it's lip service this whole thing about player welfare it's all money bottom line is I was there with Ireland two years ago 2018 when they won that series uh, first series win down under since 79 um, but you could see uh, uh, there was talk about Ireland going back there immediately because um, where were we? was it Melbourne Sydney Brisbane all three venues sold out mm. third test in Sydney Obviously, the Aussies thought they'd have the series wrapped up at that stage, yeah. and all the paddies bought the tickets. Yeah. I mean, it was phenomenal. Uh, the Irish support, both in Melbourne and in Sydney, was incredible. And I think the AIU decided there and then because they're under massive financial mm. uh, issues in Australia at the moment. I'd say they were breaking down doors to get Ireland back, mm. and now having got them back <clears> for two tests, they're talking about a third test. Um, so that's crazy to have a 13 month season like that it's just totally yeah. unsustainable I think the Irish guys are more fortunate than their French or English counterparts for sure in the sense that they're, oh, yeah. there is a degree of management there that people just don't get in England I remember yeah. looking at the minutes that uh, the guys in the li- the last Lions tour played in the subsequent season yeah, for their the clubs Irish and guys, yeah. the Irish guys are all down the very bottom of that mm-hmm. table uh, which is only fair Um I know the the latest agreement with the Rugby Players Association in England was designed, or at least um, ostensibly designed, to make player welfare more of an issue. But I think it's just lip service, and I think there was a lot of backlash to that. I mean, uh, ten like ten months of playing games, um, even if they're quite spread out, you have to stay in shape in those off weeks, particularly for playing Test rugby as well. Uh, you're not enjoying the benefit of those down weeks really to the same extent as other guys and. I think it's only a matter of time before the age of retirement, as much as it's decreasing year on year as it is, uh, before it really starts to go down well under the 30 mark in the coming years. Yeah, But the whole shape of the season is changing almost. They're, they're bringing it in under the table. You know, there was the talk of the global season uh, a year or two ago, so we'd align ourselves with the Southern Hemisphere. But I was shocked. Uh, I was in the World Cup and I spotted that the Pro 14 final this year is down for the 20th of June. Mm. That was always in the end of May. So, and, you know, even in World Cup years, it was always in the end of May. It's now down for the 20th of June. You go 12 months out, the Lions tour. It doesn't start until July. It's been reduced to eight games, which is the shortest Lions ever. I think the third test is on on the 7th of August. Right, so yeah. where do those players go? You know, when you're generally after a Lions tour, the Irish players will be given maybe uh, an eight or a, a four week break, but maybe nine to ten weeks before they actually play a match. That's right. So that nearly brings you into the November internationals. Mm, yeah, it yeah. seems ridiculous. The, all this has been sort of it's it's come in almost unnoticed, and um, so I mean I have to say every time I read about player welfare, and and you're right in terms of. The Irish players here are really well looked after and, um, you know, it has to be a factor when you're negotiating contracts. I know there might be more money elsewhere, but it turns to longevity. Um, you know, the, the Irish system does work. Yeah, and in, uh, you just touched on the, um, the issue of contracts there, Donald, is actually a lot to play for for a lot of guys who are coming off contract this year who are just uh, breaking into the Irish setup at the moment. Um, you might be familiar with the fact that the issue of central contracts is becoming a bugbearer for the three weaker provinces, say, um, because basically as it stands, I think there's 16 central contracts at the moment. I think nine of them are with Leinster, and I mean, all things being fair, on merit, that number would likely increase. The percentage of contracts that uh, yeah. Leinster have would increase year on year to the point where maybe in a few years' time it might be 12, 13 out of the 16 contracts are Leinster guys. But the knock-on effect of that is that uh, that means that there's 12 guys in the Leinster setup, whose entire contracts are being paid by the IRFU on a central basis, and that allows much bigger budgets to bring in the likes of James Lowe or equally dominant and powerful players that can have a really strong impact on the season. So they're talking about restructuring that at the moment. Um, have you heard much about that, Donald? Yeah, it's 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 raised its head. I mean, it's funny, I suppose, in the context of the whole salary cap and the, the, the Saracens thing, which is on everyone's lips. Um, like people out there mightn't realise, you know, a, a player on a national contract might be on 
500,000 a year. Uh, the province pay no money towards that. Mm. Uh, but then they have to fund the, the, the players in the province who, uh, obviously, the, the, the RFU is the, the, the overall paymaster as such, but it does make a huge difference in terms of the more central contacts you have, then the less onus there is. Uh, there's more money available, if you like, uh, within the province for the other players within their squad. Um, I mean, I must say, that, you know, you go back to the Saracens thing, uh, obviously the the system they had where Nigel Ray and the, he had players, um, he was involved, they were involved in companies with him, co-directors. Um, the problem was there, it wasn't an arm's length transaction. But we have a scenario in Ireland where a lot of our top players, their salary is topped up because of an, a commercial agreement with somebody like Bank of Ireland or somebody like that. Mm. So therefore... It's 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 not a whole lot different to what was happening in Saracens, except for the fact, of course, that it is an arm's length transaction. Um, but it's it's um, I can understand why the other provinces now are getting seriously concerned about this. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I know that they get obviously having that many people centrally contracted to freeze out more money, but I think their recruitment and identification of players has been probably better than the other provinces as well. If you look at the Fellas, they brought over to try and qualify for Ireland between James Lowe and Gibson Park. Mm, like, yeah, couldn't have gone any better. Exactly, yeah. you know, and like James Lowe, okay, he had a bit of a reputation as a good player, but I don't know, I'd love to see how many clubs actually came in for him, whereas Leinster identified him and backed and went for him, like, same with Gibson Park, you know, as I said, uh, between himself and McGrath, you, you know, you can't guarantee or you can't name the Leinster starting 15, you know. They change it week on week. McGrath doesn't always start. Gibson Park starts, and they do sixty twenty or whatever. Same with other positions in Faraday in the second round, back row. It's the same. So it's yeah, they have more player centric contracted, but I also think their identification and their selection of players who they recruited has been much better than the other provinces. But I think an element in that is that that Guy Easterbury, who started their mm. operations manager, part of his brief is recruitment. Mm. So like they're actively involved all, despite the fact that they're generating all this incredible talent on an annual basis within the province and you know obviously the school system in Leinster has got uh, um, so many good things going for it but they're also working well outside that in terms of the, the whole youths and the other counties within and they're, they're unearthing you know the, the, the Sean O'Briens of this world the Shane Horgans in his time they came out of the youth area mm-hmm. Ty Furlong would be one now um, and they're really doing that incredibly well as well. Um, I suppose the uh, you'd have to question over the past number of years in terms of the overseas guys that have come into the other provinces, have they made the same impact? Um, now, having said that, if Munster do eventually end up signing Dialande and Sneeman, mm. um, mm. they're game-breakers in my view, mm. given your no... And I would imagine for everybody else within the squad, when you hear... Munster going for players of that quality, despite the well, I suppose for everybody as long as they're not in your position, but yeah. it must uh, <laughs> it must give you. Oh, they were regularly for people in my position. <laughs> yeah, going exactly, but uh, it must give you an incredible lift to think. Yeah, look, we're really we're on the big yeah. we're playing with the big boys here. I mean, to be bringing in two guys who've just been part of a World Cup squad, um, it must be fantastic yeah. for your squad. But even like say going back to James Lowe and Gibson Park, I think what. Okay, they're in the twenty three and they're probably starting most games. Well, James Lowe anyway, but what they add off the pitch to the younger players coming through, I've no doubt that they're helping those lads, you know, giving giving telling them about their their experience and educating them, whereas like it's not just guarantee or signing a guy who's gonna be in the twenty three every week, it's also how he's gonna help develop like Dougie would have been very good in, in Munster, you know, Ruth Pokey would have been very good, Maths was very good. Uh, like helping out the younger lads and stuff so it's, yeah, I it's think not just what they do on the pitch I think it's all around between the culture and the develop and educating the younger lads I think yeah there's a big tradition and culture that New Zealand that uh, probably is unmatched in other countries and yeah. that's kind of um, Paul Warwick was another good lad for the younger lads Australian so I remember I Francis uh, Saeedi saying when he came that when he rocked into training and with the Blues when Manonu was still there so Manonu would pull up in his in his big jeep uh, at half six every morning to watch the academy guys train, and uh, he'd be there without fail every morning. And Francis said he asked him one time, and he said, uh, "You just never forget where you come from. It's important to stay humble." Is a big thing with particularly Polynesian guys, and uh, yeah. I think Kiwis in general. So you can definitely see how that has a really positive impact in a place uh, like Leinster or Munster or anywhere else. Uh, so. 
as someone who has uh, been involved at every level of Ruby Donald from playing right up to boards and being managements and everything else uh, Scotland at the moment they seem to be going through a small bit of uh, an upheaval obviously as you mentioned a moment ago Finn Russell was sent home from camp um, would have been applauded into training back in your day don't you going on the lash and missing training well, I can tell you the old halves were never the last fellas to play in our time blame everyone else for not getting them up anyway. exactly but I'd uh, love to know what his roommate was. But anyway, I think the damage might have been done at that stage. Do you remember that years ago at a site on our away trip one year, and we we stayed in like Cardiff or wherever, and we went out after, and uh, was it Neil Tucker the Fizz who was rooming with someone, and he got up and left your man Murph and Murph missed the bus, <laughs> and Tucker was just sitting on the bus, didn't even bother trying to wake him up or anything. What an outrageous performance! <laughs> Jesus. He slagged him for months after. It was unbelievable. <laughs> That's terrible. But after outing the poor old poor monster old f- physio or whatever he was. So in addition to the Finn Russell issue, a couple of weeks ago there was uh, a lot of discussion in Scottish media, a lot of outrage actually about the fact uh, that uh, not too dissimilar to the John Delaney and FAO situation that we've been enjoying <laughs> over the last probably 12 months at this stage, uh, that... Mark Dodson's uh, salary had increased by upwards of 50% to close to a million pounds. Um, the overall pay paid to the board in 2019 increased from 1.13 million to 2.24 million. And uh, I saw a good line from Tom English, who writes for the BBC, saying, It's hard to know what caused the biggest tremor in Scotland this week the winds of Storm Brendan whipping around the country, or the thought of Mark Dodson's wallet landing on his desk in Murrayfield. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but we know the Scottish fellas were never too quick to take their wallets out of the pocket, so one of them hitting the desk. <laughs> so as someone who's been involved, as I said, like right up to boards, as, as a manager, uh, as a player, as everything, how uh, how much kind of upset can that cause in the camp of a national side? Will the lads be ignoring it? Does that kind of thing filter down? Yeah, I think there, certainly there would have been nobody within the Scottish setup who would have realised the CEO was on that kind of money. Um, you know, when you consider, like, Scotland, right from the outset of professionalism, they, they've struggled financially, and a lot of it went back to the fact that re, they redeveloped Murrayfield only a couple of years in advance of the game going professional. So a lot of the resources that they had, they put it into bricks and mortars in, in, in Murrayfield at the time. Look at the flip side in, in with the IRFU, to be fair to them, Lansdowne Road was almost falling down, but they felt that professionalism was on, it was definitely going to come, it was only a matter of time. So they kept the reserves in order to give them a cushion for the inevitability of the professional game coming in. Uh, the impact of that meant that when when professionalism started in Scotland, they struggled to get enough, um, like they'd only, I think, three um, provincial sides at the time. Now they're going down to two. Trying to pick a national team when you only have two provinces or two districts, mm, mm. it means you're very restrictive in terms of your player numbers. Um, so when you still like they still have only Edinburgh and Glasgow involved in the top professional sphere, so it seems incredible to me, uh, given the revenues that they're generating, that their CEOs and that kind of money. Um, for what I can gather, the likes of Philip Brown would be on a small fraction of that. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think Philip Brown is on. This was in Sterling now that I saw about 172 compared to I think it's 445 basic plus <laughs> plus 460 uh, odd in bonuses. So he deserves uh, it. He deserves <laughs> but it, it is interesting when you see guys like Stuart Hogg, uh, Finn Russell leaving, Richie Gray next season. Um, you know, you, you can't. I, I think it's foolish to make a direct comparison saying this exact money could have been used to keep a marquee player like that but I think it does show uh, a mentality that's there that as you say Donald doesn't have the the advancement of professionalism in Scottish Absolutely, rugby at, yeah. at I mean you've got to get your priorities right that said I think that they have accepted in Scotland that because they only have those two professional outlets that uh, like they try and keep their players when they're younger um, but they also I think realise that there is a benefit to the likes of Grey Stuart Hogg gone to Exeter Chiefs this year, still playing outstanding. There's no doubt in my mind, um, Finn Russell has come on in leaps and bounds as a as a player since he's went to Racing. Like he was always this maverick talent, um, but you know he just seemed uncontrollable, if you like, at times playing for Glasgow. Now in that Racing environment, um, now it helps when you fellas like Vakatawa and uh, Teddy mm-hmm. Thomas or Simon Zebo outside you. But that said. 
Um, I think the quality that he's been producing is, is phenomenal. Now, I don't think he would have been at that level had he stayed in Glasgow. So, yeah. therefore, you know, they are getting the benefit of that as well. But, um, yeah, it's look, I think my experience with players, they tend to blank out everything, really, that doesn't affect them from a playing perspective. Uh, even, I always remember players, that, and, you know, when coaches come and go, players are selfish in many ways. They just want to make sure they're on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in a lot of instances, as I say, they blank out those issues. Uh, but that said given where Russell's standing is in the Scottish game at the moment, um, you know, uh, the, the fallout of him not being available for the Ireland game, like that has to impact on the squad for all the obvious reasons, whereas the financial aspect, really, you know, that's something that's out of their control and I'd be amazed if that was an element that interfered with their preparation in any way for the Six Nations. Don't we had, a, we had the occasional... Uh... <laughs> Distraction or uh, emergency in Munster while we were there. Did you feel it ever affected the group really when it came to preparing for games? Um, yeah, look, I suppose I was at Munster for home 10, 10, 11 years and we had probably five head coaches in that uh, length of time. Um, some lifts all of a sudden, I suppose Razzie left kind of a year and a half into it, which was, or 15, 16 months into it, which was. Uh, rough enough going especially I thought we'd gone through the year before with Axel uh, passing away and stuff so yeah like I think the senior players did well there they kind of got everyone together and said look it's happening let's get on with it let's not use it as, a, as an excuse and we just got our heads down and all kind of worked towards the same goal and I think the importance of kind of more experienced players does come in massively there it's um can be hard like especially if you're like if you're a club that's not doing very well and something like that happens it's easy to I suppose be a drain and kind of contribute to the problems but I, I can see you laughing thinking that that would be me but no it wasn't um, but yeah no it was as I said it, it can be quite a bit of a topsy-turvy time right yeah uh-huh. but you, you you read all obviously every group be it international club they always go on about the leadership group I was just reading about the Irish 20s, they have six fellas, I think, in their leadership group. Um, like, you're just out of the professional game. Uh, were you ever involved in the leadership group, number one? Or secondly, uh, no. just how it... No, I don't, I don't I think I ever, believe I don't that. think I ever got a vote. To go <laughs> 11, the 11 years in the squad and you nah, were never in the leadership they, they, group. They were mainly trying to keep me out of the leadership Surely group. Surely out of pity <laughs> they would have put you on it one no. year. Well, it actually... So in Munster it used to be like, say, five or six lads... It was one season there, there was about 25 lads in it, literally. Yeah, I, I, I think my I still time didn't just didn't get it. I, still <laughs> get it in. I, did, I don't even think I got a vote still. Um, but yeah, so but it was... That, it, is it a voting scenario? It's not just a point some, by the coach? D- depending, I think it, was, it depends yeah. on the coach and uh, year by year it kind of changed. But there were, I don't think that happened every year in, in my time there that there would have been a vote. Yeah, because you'd be surprised when you actually do put it to a vote to the, say, 45 lads. You'd be surprised the names that come up. They're not always like it might be some guy that the younger lads, yeah, yeah. Mm. who isn't a, might be a guaranteed starter, but he helps them out. They see him as a leader and they want him in there. But let's say that that whole incident now with with Russell. I mean, he's in the bar. I think he played for Racing that day against Saracens. Uh, obviously, came up to Scotland. Now, by all accounts, the Scottish management said, "Look, it's their first time together for a while. As you can have a few mm. beers, but we're we're training in the morning." Um, obviously. We're not privy to what happened, but Russell didn't turn up for training or he wasn't at <laughs> training. Now, whether he was going to train, I doubt if you'd be training mm, when you yeah. played a match only 24 hours yeah. earlier, but obviously you've got to be there, you've got to be part of the meetings. Um, like, surely the leadership group there, especially going into a Six Nations and you have Stuart Hogg has just been appointed captain, um, they have a massive role to play in terms of sort of uh, there's going to be a lot of outside noise about Russell being sent home. The players have to take ownership and, and drive that issue in terms of, of getting right for the game against Ireland. I'd be interested to get your views on actually, Donald, because as Dunk said, you've been involved in rugby at all levels, but you were obviously manager of the Lions in 2001 in Australia, and there was a fair few I suppose, scandals from that between Austin Healy, Matt Dawson, Raj getting a hiding. Um, like, how important is the role of the manager you think like I think it I seems think to be, like that was one of my greatest rugby memories growing up watching that you know I always watched the video of that Lions documentary it was, it was unbelievable I thought it looked like 
unbelievable crack. They're a good, strong group, and I thought you played a good role between management and mm. the players. It's it's well, Lions tour is probably it's 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 different to all the norm because you've got they're all incredibly talented players to start out with. You're a group that's together maybe for eight weeks. That's never going to see each other again. So for some fellas, there's no consequences going forward. If you're an Irish international, you're contracted. That's going to impact on the way you conduct yourself to some degrees. Um, it was uh, like there was obviously a couple of issues there. Matt Dawson writing, you know, about, about pressure from the management and yeah. training too much and all that type of thing. But it's it's... I think those days are gone, really. I mean, you were still in that transition between the amateur to yeah, the professional game. Um, the Lions is all about the here and now. I mean, I remember I was under fierce pressure to send Dawson home mm. after that particular incident. So uh, had, had he written a piece or had he given an interview? He'd written a piece. Well, he was writing. It was a ghost. Well, is that what he said that the manager that was, were putting too much pressure? I couldn't remember what the Well, there was. The, the, well, the funny thing, you see, in those days players had only started writing articles and they were all ghostwritten, number mm-hmm. one. And now, of course, every time there was an issue, well, I didn't say that or I didn't do that or, you know, the poor old ghostwriter was being hung. Blame the journalist. Uh, blame the journalist, exactly. No, it was the morning of the first test. Um, and we did train incredibly hard in the first yeah. three or four weeks, um, but all with a view to being right for the test series. And, I mean, that was an amazing tour. You look at the build-up. Uh, I think we played the Queensland Reds two weeks out from the first test. They had been in the semi-final of Super 12, I think, yeah. as it was at the time. They had about eight or nine of the Aussie team. I think we put about 40 points on yeah. them. Uh, we played the Waratahs the yeah, Saturday, yeah. two weeks. That was the day yeah. when Raj got the, the head bait off him. But Tom it, Bowman, if Tom you remember, Tom Bowman got sent off from the kickoff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, Danny Grucock, I think he elbowed him into the head. Yeah. That was the whole the start of it. Um, it also coincided with one of the greatest lines in, in pressure rugby you're one after that we were set up we played like a bag of shite <laughs> one of my all time favourite quotes did I say that did yeah. I jeez <laughs> hit yeah. the nail in the head though to be well, fair I, yeah but I remember jeez um, I always remember coming in after that I think we lost in that game we lost Lawrence Delalio you're a week out from the first yeah. test we lost Neil Back and we lost Will Greenwood Um I remember uh, John Martin Johnson was captain. He got a he got split over the eye, and I have to say that was the day when, as a as a captain, as a leader, just as an inspirational person, he just uh, really stood out. I remember we were in the um, after the game. Raj was being stitched. I think he might have got stitched when he was taken off. Went back out onto the field, but Johnson was lying down on the physio bench. They were stitching him. And he said to me, well, what's the story with the injury? So I said, it looks as if uh, Greenwood is out, back is out, Delalio is out. And he just kind of, yeah, and he just shook his head. Right, we just get on with it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think if you said, look, we've only 13 fellas left and uh, we're going to have to play on. And that's the kind of guy he was. But um, uh, but look, it's it's probably not the best example because Lions Tours, as I say, mm-hmm. they're... they're um, you know, they're one-offs, fellas never come together again. But um, I think it's, it's look, the senior players have to drive that as they did that yeah. time as well. Hard-hitting, sometimes brutal. Brilliant at the breakdown and never afraid to tackle the big names. Read Ronan O'Gara, Simon Lewis and me, Donald Lenehan, in the Irish Examiner for the best insights and analysis on all the key matches throughout the Six Nations Championship. The 2020 Six Nations in the Irish Examiner. We've got every position covered. Earlier in the week, I was down in Foda to catch up with Connell Half, Jack Crowley, who's been... Selected for the 20s side for the upcoming campaign. Good, right. Jack Crowley, I suppose uh, it's fair to say that outside of people who follow the All-Ireland League relatively closely, not a huge amount of people know much about you right now. I'm sure that will change uh, over the coming weeks and months. But uh, you've had a pretty terrific season so far. You came out of Bandon Grammar. This is your first year out of school and you were selected to captain Munster in the first Celtic Cup match of the season. Uh, you've been instrumental in Cork Con having a perfect season so far. 10 wins out of 10, sitting comfortably atop of uh, Division yeah. 1A in the AIL. And uh, now you've been selected for the upcoming Irish Under-20s campaign uh, in the Six Nations. So you must be pretty happy with how things are going. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, you know, 
it's been a pretty good uh, year um, come this last 2019 and 2018 but you know there's been a as you say with Cork on and Munster I've been playing with a lot of quality players so it does make your role as a 10 a lot easier so um, I can't take all the credit for that um, just steer the ship as well as I can and um, other fellas play their role as well but no it has been you know I've got unbelievable opportunities um, throughout the year and you know it's just taking your opportunities and I think I've done that but it's not over yet so um should be and it's delighted to you know it's unbelievable um honor to get selected you know in this 30 man seven man squad so yeah it should be hopefully a good campaign now of course uh, just to rewind a bit uh obviously as i said you were in band and grammar for six yeah. years that's where you kind of honed your craft there yeah. and uh in band and rfc as well uh i went to glenn salabi myself and yeah. i know it's been remarkable to see how Glenstall have progressed in the last few yeah, years. Absolutely. Unfortunately, that didn't quite happen when I was there. But uh, I would imagine it's been a similar enough situation for yourself. Uh, as you said a minute ago, uh, before we started recording, uh, you graduated from being a B school to an A school in fifth year. Yeah. What's it been like to watch Bandon kind of emerge as a real talent, producing guys like Darren yeah. Sweet and Gavin Coombs and now yourself yeah. in recent years, whereas uh, previously wouldn't have really been considered yeah. a hotbed of uh, rugby production? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's been like from them to go to a B school like they've always been competing you know in the um, the B Cup or whatever but in the last few years we've had you know there's coaches in the school that re- have really been trying to push um, to get up to an A school and I suppose in the last few years uh, with the introduction of Regis Sonnes um, the French coach now Toulouse coaching Toulouse and uh, I'm sure many of you know him but he kind of brought a brilliant ethos to the game of you know like we had all along, I think the players have been there, you know, year on year. Like there was, um, go back to Gavin Coombs' year, even before that, you know, they were just shy of the opportunity. And I think they needed someone to really um, show them that they could have uh, pushed on to an A school. I think it could have happened earlier um, with the talent that was in the school, you know, it's just about maybe not realizing the ambition or, you know, pushing themselves. So I think the quality was there all along. And then we just um, got a brilliant opportunity with. Regis coming and there was the men before that as well, all the coaches and everyone in the school already jumped on board and you know it was it's unbelievable to see um kind of there's a change now in West Cork with the the ethos of it and the mentality of it that you know you can you know you they're in A school now you can you can really push on and um like Glenstall have proved um coming up and winning two years ago which was pretty first time ever yeah um, so unheard of um, Bannon Grammar hopefully will get there win sometime as well um, but no it's been it's been unbelievable and I think it's brilliant for rugby in general just you know not just having two A schools in Cork now you've three so it really just uh, has developed rugby a huge lot in West Cork and has promoted really well Absolutely, and uh, Band and RFC are doing very well yeah, currently absolutely. over the last couple of years. And uh, yeah. I saw someone mentioned last year. I think that I'm not sure if it's still the case, but there were more people from Bantry than Limerick in the Full Monster Academy. So <laughs> things are obviously uh, yeah, progressing in the right direction yeah. for rugby in West yeah, Cork. Uh, big men down there. Uh, yeah. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, with regard to Cork Con joining Cork Con, it was obviously yeah. the natural choice for you to join as a club. Um, I would imagine that being an out half coming straight out of school, joining a team like Con, yeah. it has its advantages and disadvantages yeah, in the sense that uh, uh, you're obviously playing with with the cream of the crop in terms of yeah. AIL rugby. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I would imagine that there's a lot of expectation on a young out half's shoulders to come in and perform uh, the yeah. way you have. Brian Hickey isn't known for taking many prisoners when it comes to uh, the level of expectation yeah, he has yeah. for his players. So, how have you found settling into that system? I would like, you know it's make or break like you, you have to challenge yourself I think that was my main thing you know people are saying that you go to Cork on it's, it is going to be challenging and I wasn't going to expect there to you know strut into the team at, you know I would have taken seconds if I had to just game time but you know that I think that that's kind of part of me as well as to be pushed a bit and you know challenged and like in in Con now the tens there Aiden Moynihan and Jerry Hurley unfortunately Aiden um, broke his leg before Christmas but like you know them pushing you when they come back is going to be what challenges you and I think that's you know as I spoke about before competition and like at that when there's fellas you know on the year tail pushing you and stuff it it really does help you and then having um, experienced fellas next to you like Noel Keneally and Alex McHenry and stuff it you know it helps you develop as a rugby player Um, those lads have been playing at AL for a number of years now so you learn little things off them Um, but yeah it was you know a could have went to a number of other clubs, um, could have stayed abandoned, but I said I'd you know, challenge myself and 
see what it is like and make a break as I said if you yeah. get in there it's it's good like but um, no it is good to challenge yourself I think uh, you were lucky enough to have like, the AL is very much a young man's game yeah. these days for the most part uh, I know my own club Shannon yeah. I, don't, I think 26 or 27 is the age of the oldest yeah. guy that's playing there and it's been like that for a number of years uh, Khan have a number of guys who are late 20s early to mid 30s as yeah. well guys like Jerry Hurley who've been there uh, for as long as I can remember and, yeah. and now Duncan Williams who's obviously yeah. featuring regularly in the Khan side as well uh, what's it been like to work with a nine like Duncan with uh, the level of experience he has yeah he makes it a lot easier anyway and you're <laughs> stuck in shit so um, he can he can help you out alright but no he's again you learn many things off a man like him like he's been a professional player for what 12 odd years more so I think just being able to play outside him is just you know it's it's unbelievable because he's puts the ball on the plate same with Jerry Hurley when he plays there same with the other nines it's you know it makes your game a lot easier as I said and then having Niall outside you and you know players of that so um, Duncan he knows the ins and outs of the game very well so um, it's it's brilliant for learning off him another guy that wouldn't take prisoners I would imagine uh, certainly with his pack so it's not bad to have a nine no, back no, at them like no, that absolutely. making sure the ball is on a plate yeah. for you like you say yeah. uh, so you're in the sub academy now um, yeah. are you based in Cork still? Um, so I'm in college in Cork in UCC right. and oh, what are you studying? I'm um, studying commerce um, it's it's not too bad at getting through with it and stuff so um, we go up we train in Limerick in the HBC um, which is an unbelievable facility and uh, we're there Monday, Tuesday and Thursday and then if you're um, playing with AOL at the weekend you head down Thursday and club train and play Saturday so it's really good up there it's, the facilities are top class in terms of like that would be obviously your first taste of a fully professional environment yeah. um, when back in my day, uh, 10 years ago, I started in the sub-academy and it was very much kind of a part-time gig. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't anywhere near as demanding as it is now in terms of yeah. the hours you're expected to spend at the yeah. HBC, the amount of time you're spending actually on the field with the other lads. Yeah. Uh, how have you found it, adjusting from schools rugby? Has it been a big step up? Is it more or less what you expected? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say demanding in the term of that, you know, you you wanting to the end goal is to try and get an academy out of it for us. So, you know, that's what the the academy are doing week in, week out. So to transform into from sub to academy, you want to be doing similar enough hours to them so that it's not a huge jump and stuff. Which is, you know, it's you want to. We all love rugby. I'm sure playing it. So to be in an environment where you're able to sometimes get a lucky opportunity to train with the seniors or train against them with the A's, it's you know, it's unbelievable. So to be up there and in around the gym and stuff it's uh, really good and you know putting in the hours um, I'm sure if I, if people weren't up there if I wasn't up there you'd be trying to put in as many hours at home on the pitch or whatever kicking, passing, tackling um, so and then in school we we actually had uh, quite a heavy session as well we had uh, two gyms in the mornings and a pitch session every day um, and then Wednesday you play a game or on Saturday so uh, <laughs> so it's, it's it's not a completely different no, no, it's not. It's uh, experience. Not. Okay, well that's good. Yeah, I mean uh, again that sums up just so much yeah, schools rugby as a easier, so. That's right. Yeah. yeah, schools rugby is bordering on on semi-professional yeah. stuff nowadays yeah. for young guys in particular. Yeah. Uh, Munster kind of getting a lot of flack at the moment with regards to. Um, uh, not producing enough players, homegrown players uh, through the academy. Uh, out half isn't really a position where that argument could be made at the moment. No. There's yourself, Jake Flannery and Ben Healy now, yeah. all in around the same age, which is uh, going to be really exciting to yeah. see how that plays out over the coming years. Yeah. Um, you're kind of the understudy at the moment, obviously. Ben made his European debut yeah, yesterday. Absolutely. Uh, how, how do you approach competition like that? Is it is it kind of a long-term thing? Uh, have you identified ways that you can get yourself ahead yeah. of the two lads? Or is it just a case of concentrating on your own game at the moment? Yeah, well, like, I think, you know, as I always talk about the, the competition that they bring, you know, Ben, it's unbelievable milestone for him to be able to get his um, Champions Cup debut and you know he, he took the opportunity that was on and um, all credit to him and same with Jake had an unbelievable under-20s campaign last year and uh, World Cup as well so you know they kind of have set the standard of what's expected throughout the year with under-20s both performing really well last year so you know you got to match them and at the end of the day it's all about competition and we're fighting for the same jersey when it comes to it um, so no I think at the moment you you have to you have to learn off fellas like this as well. You know they've been to another twenty six nation, they've been to the World Cup. So I think learning off them at the moment is is a thing, and constantly learning and you know pushing each other. I think that's the way it, it creates a healthy competition inside in the inside in the training centre. So um, fellas like them, you know they've 
they've put in the hours week in week out kicking and passing so I think you just got to match that and try and outwork that whether you can or not but um, no I think it's it's brilliant to have quality players of that and you can you can benchmark yourself off them and see where you need to go from there. Uh, Duncan, what's your experience been like with him? He seemed like struck me as a very impressive guy with uh, years on his shoulders, really very mature. Um, yeah, that's the word I was about. He was very mature. You know, he's not shy. Uh, he knows what he wants. He demands the ball. Um, he's all the attributes. You know, and he's got a good head in the shoulders. So it'll be, I've no doubt, he, he'll excel in the in the Six Nations coming up. He's a big lad. I was actually a bit shocked when he came out. He's about 6'2", I'd say. He, he looks heavier than no, he is. No, you're just 5'4", you know? so he looked like he was 6'2". Uh, Fair point, yeah. He yeah, felt like 6'2", yeah. anyway, but uh, he's big for 10. I think he said yeah. he's 88 kilos, which for, I presume, he's, he's 18 years old, is he? Maybe 19? 19, yeah. But yeah. I've developed his skills massively by throwing gutter balls. He's learned how to take a few <laughs> balls up off his laces, so it's, um, I'll take a lot of credit for his performances. Only you've heard good things, you've seen good things. Yeah, well, I saw him play for Bandon last year in the semi final. They should have beaten Prez, they had them mm. beaten twice and left Prez back into the game. Uh, I think had they got to the, the final, they could have beaten Christians in the final. They were that good a team, um, and they were that group of players that Reggie Son, do you remember the guy mm. he's now coaching in Toulouse? Uh, they were the group that he had as under 12s, and you could see their, their skill levels mm. were outstanding. Um, I, I'd spoke to him on a number of occasions. In fact, uh, when he joined Con, I organised for him to meet Raj. Um, we was over before with the World Cup. We had the um, uh, the night in the Clarion with, with Steve Larkham and uh, Johan van Gran, Raj and myself. Um, but exactly what you say, Raj couldn't get over the size of him. Mm. Uh, like he was towering over Raj, but even his phys- physical development, I don't think Raj, even at the top of his game, was... Uh, even physically at the level that this guy was at <laughs> at, so, at no. 19 or 20 um, <laughs> but uh, again as as Duncan said uh, the thing that struck me about him was his maturity he knew exactly what he wanted when he came out of school um, you know the natural thing was under 20s rugby he didn't want under t- he felt he was good enough to play in the All-Ireland League obviously his target was also the Irish his immediate target immediate goal was to get on the Irish 20s um, and you know he's in that squad. Hopefully, I think he's he uh, is probably favoured to start in the campaign. Um, but it's uh, he is an exciting talent. Um, and great to see. Uh, obviously, Munster getting a lot of stick at the moment. Um, as I mentioned when I was speaking to Jack for not producing enough homegrown players, but they've got himself, Jake Flannery, and Ben Healy all in around the same age. And Conor Fitzgerald was. That's Once right, yeah. Well, before he, went, he was one, one that got away. Before them, was it? Yeah. yeah. Not, not not James even, Taylor yeah. in in, yeah. in UCC was an outstanding mm. ten. Um, chose, I think, his own. He's uh, playing with the club side. He got picked. They saw it. Play yeah, 10, he's playing yeah. with the amateur team. But I think he would have. Been, you know, certainly Munster had been on to him on a number of occasions. He wants to get his degree, and but like again, he's another outstanding ten. So mm. um, uh, it's great to see Munster producing players of that quality. The other thing I would say about Jack is he he strikes me this guy who just loves rugby, you know, eats, sleeps, uh, drinks rugby. And I would just hope that he doesn't lose that, you know. Things can sometimes get a bit too much, you know, especially now the under-20s are on the TV every week. So I just hope that... Women drink. Yeah, (laughs) get the better of him. Uh, But yeah, so I just hope that he never... Obviously, at some point, he'll not be as in, in love with it as he is but I just hope in the long term that he manages to stay that enthusiastic about, about his rugby yeah he doesn't strike me as a guy that will get distracted too yeah, easily yeah, yeah. anyway so, um, I don't mean distracted but you know if, no no I know, I know exactly what you mean but I, he, he sounds like like you said Donnelly knows what he wants and uh, I, I, just, uh, I hope he doesn't hate rugby as much as we did for about <laughs> five years a terrible picture of professional oh, it's the, rugby it's the best and worst job Donald. a lot of things have to go wrong before you get to the level of yeah. depression we experience yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Uh, just before we wrap up guys uh, we obviously all and I think a lot of people listening would have seen our old teammate Bailey Holland and uh, his wife Lan Lee uh, talking about uh, their really really difficult and moving experience um, with their daughter Emily who passed away last May Uh, they gave a terrific terrific interview really composed really impressive on the Late Late Show last Friday it's well worth checking out if you haven't seen it yet on the RT player 
Uh, but they set a target of 100 grand for their GoFundMe page and uh, last we checked it was at 480 grand and yeah, uh, that money is going to be split between uh, the Children's Unit in CUH, uh, Crumlin Children's Hospital yeah. and um, Ronald McDonald House. So anyone yeah, that would a, like to donate? It was, it was an unbelievable reaction to you know to unbelievable people so it was, it was good to see. It is, yeah, yeah. They're, they're fantastic people, they really are. And... Um, uh, as I said uh, on Twitter, they deserve every happiness in the world. So if anyone would like to donate, uh, it's not too late by any means. So you can go to GoFundMe.com and searching for Emmeline Holland. That's E-M-M-E-L-I-N-E, Holland. I think that's about it for the moment, guys. Uh, Donald, thanks a million. Pleasure to catch yeah, up with you. Thanks a million, lads. Thanks, and, Donald. Uh, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Best of luck to you now the next few weeks. Yeah, I'll give it four weeks, but it'll yeah. be back. <laughs> Don't would have been cancelled. We'll be taking your job next. <laughs> 